Welcome to Witham Sounding Board, a podcast sharing powerful business tips, insights, and trends for those seeking to become a rock star in their industry. We are back at it again for another episode of Hot Topics in the Multi-Employer Benefit World. We are so very excited to have a special guest today, the man, the myth, and the legend, Mr. Phil Viverito, who was a principal here at Witham. Phil does many things for us. Uh, He also teaches for the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans and was just out in Las Vegas back in October speaking on a ton of payroll auditing challenges and collection policies and just some of the things that you would want to hear about if you are interested in payroll audits and how they can help you in your life. Uh, So, Phil Virito, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I'm glad to be here and uh, talk a little about payroll audits and payroll audit challenges. So I want to get right to it. Why should anyone listening to today's episode care about payroll audits? Well, there's a few reasons, Aaron. Uh, Let me go through a couple of them real quickly. One, under ERISA, the the trustees have a fiduciary responsibility to collect every dollar that's owed. It also levels the playing field among all employers, and it protects the participants in those funds. Here's something I I like to say about payroll audits. Payroll audits confirm the delinquencies the funds know about. Payroll audits inform the funds of what delinquencies and deficiencies they don't know. And that's the key, Aaron, what they don't know. There's plenty out there that they don't know, and that's why you need to do payroll audits. That's exactly right, Phil. And I can tell you as myself, as an auditor, we care very much about payroll audits because of the type of work that we do. But for all those listening who might be playing staff or a third party administrator, or maybe even a trustee, there are a lot of things that fraudsters are doing right now with payroll audits and just things that you'll wanna keep an eye out for, which is a great segue to our next question. Uh, So Phil, what are people doing that you're seeing in the line of work that you do that would interest someone listening today? All right. So, Aaron, the, the, the collective bargaining agreement is a key document. It states who's covered, states what contributions are due and when contributions are due. But there are a few things that happen out there. Like one is employers will basically change around job classifications. You know, they'll, they'll make one up or they'll say that this employee um, is really not eligible for this job class, and they'll put them someplace where to try to avoid making contributions. They'll also say that some of the work is not covered. So an employee may be working 20 hours doing covered work and another 20 hours, which the employer says is non-covered work. Parallel audit's going to go and look and investigate that. Uh, there are people reported by employers who are just not eligible for contributions. These sometimes are family and friends that, or an owner who will be reported to a pension fund. Um, for example, we just had a, a recent case where only one person was reported to a pension fund, and that was the owner. And there were about six other employees never being reported to the pension fund. We also have to watch out for cash payments. That's why we look at the cash disbursement when we do these payroll audits, because employers will try to pay cash, or what they'll do is that there's a minimum amount of coverage, say, for a health and welfare fund, say 120 hours, they'll put that on payroll and then the balance paying cash so they don't have to make contributions to those employees. And then we just have the obvious, people omitting employees 
or reporting employees when they feel that employees fulfill the imaginary probationary period. So one of the one of the big questions that we ask employers when we do these payroll audits is, what do you what's your definition of non-union? There are so many employers out there who consider union membership as a prerequisite for benefit contributions, and that's just false. Union membership has nothing to do with with a prerequisite for benefit contributions. It's all what the CBA says. Got it. Got it. So if I'm listening and I don't really know what a payroll audit is, can you give us just a quick example and, and definition of what a payroll is and how something that you and your team perform in a payroll audit would help catch some of those frauds that you just talked about? Sure, Aaron. Well, first of all, the, the name is indicative, payroll audit. We use payroll records. That's how we can determine who works at a company and the hours that people are working and the wages that people are making. We also use a lot of personnel records too to help us identify uh, specific in, employees. But to understand exactly what we do, um, I'll give you a little, just a brief uh, synopsis. First thing is important we, to get the entire payroll. When we go into a company, we're not just looking at the union employees or the hourly employees. We want the entire payroll. And when there's a court case that backs it up, it's a central state's case that basically says that an employer has to provide the entire payroll for the entire company to the payroll audit auditor. The other thing that we do is um, we understand with the industry and the employer. Make yourself knowledgeable on what the employer does, for example. Um, <clears throat> a construction company we may be auditing, let's say it's in Buffalo. Well, we're not going to, we would expect no work in January and February, busy work in the summertime. But one of the uh, key things that we do is we sample and test, but we use judgmental testing and sampling. Again, knowing that employer, knowing the industry, we know certain things to go and look at. For example, uh, if it's hours paid, we want to check to see if vacations are being reported. If it's, a, um, again, a construction company, we want to check people coming and going because it doesn't matter how long they work for a company, contributions are due. Another key thing we, is communication. We communicate with the employer that we're auditing and we ask questions. It, that's really beyond the actual payroll record is understanding what that company does Look at pay, look at personnel information and determine you know, what what exactly are these people doing. Once we finish our audit, one of the things to remember is that the burden of proof is on the employer. That basically the audit speaks for itself. It becomes a document that an attorney could use. And until that employer goes through it and rebuts any of the findings that comes up with disagreement, that audit's going to stand. So Phil. Because contributions are so important to a fund, I mean, we're talking about impact on actuarial valuations and, and what other employers could be looking at, whether they want to join or not, or, and just overall health and strength of a fund's revenue streams. How can a fund protect themselves? All right, I'm going to tell you, the most important thing a fund can have is a written, clear, and concise collection and delinquency policy. These policies will include payroll audits and the frequency of and how to do payroll audits, but it'll also lay out 
for the, for the trustees how to systematically go about making sure that they get every dollar that is owed to that fund. Another thing that's important about this is that you can assemble what we like to call a good A-team, good administrator, a good attorney, and a good auditor. Those three teams, those three groups working together will, will help the trustees collect every dollar that is owed. It will also help the audit process because, again, we don't want to be doing payroll audits that the fund can't collect the money on. So you want your audits to be done correct, and sometimes you need to have that interaction between fund attorney, fund auditor, fund administrator to make sure that everything is done properly. And one thing I recommend to really help out the whole process in that collection policy, when you're talking about payroll audits, make sure you do all your new employers to the fund in year one. I can't tell you how much that will save on throwing money away, throwing money at an audit that goes on for three years because the employer didn't know what they were doing. It also educates that employer so maybe they won't to make mistakes or they'll be on notice that they can't be playing games or, or doing something that they just feel like doing to not make full contributions. And, and the policy will also state, we're going to do audits regardless of, regardless of the size of the employer. I've seen too many funds not do small employers because they think, well, there's only five or six employees there. You know, they're never late. We get all the money that they're owed. I'm telling you, I've, I've been to one place. They reported eight employees. I pulled up. It was a warehouse the size of a city block. They were three shifts of employees. There were 250 eligible employees there, and that employer only reported six people. So I think that's really important. And I can tell you as an external auditor myself, we always are working with payroll auditors, and I feel like there's never a time that we're not in communication with them, certainly during our field work, but asking them what's going on and if they have any findings and, and really just getting inside information on what employers they're looking at and just what the trends are. Uh, certainly with the new standards that became effective this year, but we were always spending a good bit of time, probably much to their chagrin, but talking to payroll auditors. So that's great information. So we've been talking a lot about payroll audits and why funds should have them done. Are they cheap? How much do they cost? Are they expensive? What, what can a fund and a plan and plan staff and trustees be thinking about when the price tag comes? Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, a lot of people just don't want to spend money payroll audits. They think that their other procedures are fine. But let me tell you, you, know, you, you get what you pay for, but you could control on how you get it. In other words, so I talked about a collection delinquency payroll audit policy. That's a guide to for the payroll auditors. That helps streamline the process. But let's remember a couple of things. Um, what ERISA, the trustees are, are responsible. They can be personally responsible for, for contributions that are not being collected by that fund. So when you put it, when you look at it like that, it's like, it's like priceless, so to speak. But you know, looking at what we've done and even talking to other payroll auditors, usually you have a finding the fee ratio that averages three to one. Sometimes it's four to one. You know, for every dollar that you spend, you may find three to four dollars in unreported contributions. But there are ways that you can control 
how much your payroll audit is going to cost by constantly monitoring it. By having your payroll auditors go to trustee meetings, so delinquency committee meetings, then we can look and see, well, what's happening? If I'm on a three-year cycle and I have a bunch of employers who didn't have findings, why don't I extend those to five years and do the employers that constantly have findings three years? The other things you can do is really uh, bad employers, someone who's every who has large findings or has tons of errors, do them every year. Um, what this is going to do, it's going to Actually, it'll be more cost efficient because it's easy to do a one-year audit than, than a three-year audit. Uh, but it, I would also, you know, look to see what kind of firm or what kind of payroll audit company are you getting? Are they ones that will work together with your fund administrator and with your fund, fund attorney? Like I said before, you get what you pay for. Uh, you want to make sure that your audits are, have findings. I mean, in the perfect world, We'd like everybody to be zero finding because that means everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it's not true. There are going to be findings and you've got to have a parallel audit who's going to go out and be able to get them. So we just got some insight about how much payroll audits should cost. And I know we have a wide variety of listeners, whether you are a big plan or a smaller plan. Uh, does it always make sense to outsource the payroll audits or, or can you actually do them in-house? You could do the payroll audits in-house. You can have an outside CPA firm do it. You can have an outside um, bookkeeping firm do it. Uh, what matters is that the payroll audits are done in accordance with the AICPA guide, especially the new, the new chapter. You know, there's a laundry list of items that you have to make sure your payroll audit is here to. So it's basically industry standards. I mentioned a couple of them about knowing the uh, industry, knowing the employers. Um, payroll auditors also have to you know, document the thought process. They also have to have work papers that show covered employees versus non-covered em em employees. So again, it doesn't really matter who's doing the audits, but they have to be done right. And Aaron, as a financial statement auditor, you're going to rely on those payroll audits. So you'd want to make sure that who's ever doing them is doing them up to standard. Absolutely. And what I'll add is uh, it kind of depends on the type of work that you're in and what the industry looks like and what some of the contracts look like, because a good payroll auditor is going to understand how the contributions are going to work. And that could be very different for the entertainment industry versus someone who works at a grocery store versus someone who uh, is a professional athlete. So understanding how the contributions kind of fit in the employer's work with these unions and the, the collectively bargain agreements is, is extremely important. Yep, that's, that's correct, Aaron. And that's why, again, it's important that the, you know, payroll auditors are trained payroll auditors. And one another tidbit of advice I'd give out, make sure that when you hire an outside firm that you get a dedicated payroll audit department, not someone who's only going to do payroll audits when they're not doing taxes, because payroll auditors know the ins and outs of all those industries that you talked about. So we've gotten some great information on what payroll audits are and, and why they are required and how planned staff and management should go about just even considering and thinking about payroll audits. And I can tell you, as a CPA on the external side and doing audits of employee benefit plans, we rely heavily on payroll audits. 
We can't go out and audit all of the contributions. So how do we come up with enough evidence to place our professional opinion on a set of financial statements? And the answer is we can't without payroll audits. So we'll look at the findings list and we'll project out what we think that error will be. And we'll compare that to our own internally calculated materiality levels. Most times, and I'll say most because anything can happen, but most times that finding error projection is not going to be material for the financial statements. So we won't be proposing an audit adjustment for a receivable coming to the plan and, and nothing along those lines. But it's a requirement and we won't know until we do the work and, and we have those conversations and, and include that into our audit plan. Uh, you mentioned something earlier, Phil, about leveling the playing field for employers. Can you speak at all about that and why that's important? Sure, Aaron. Well, let's remember a couple of things. When you are a union employer, and let's say employer A and employer B, both union employers, they're paying certain wage rates based on the CBA. But if one employer decides that they want to figure ways to not make contributions on certain people or the things we spoke about earlier, how to avoid making contributions, now that employer has a competitive advantage its counterparts. So the cost of labor throughout the industry is going to is going to be the same. Another thing to remember is too that in certain industries there's there's a lot of training and the the unions do the unions and the JATC will do the will do the training and employers contribute into those training funds. For an employer to put themselves out as a union employer means that those that those workers went through the training the training plan. And if you've got a case where an employer is falsifying that or putting himself out as a union employer and and underbidding the union employers, again, not not a good thing to have in the industry. And the other thing is they're going to do subpar work because they don't have the trained workforce. One more thing about payroll audits, Aaron. A little while ago, you mentioned immateriality. And yes, Sometimes our entire audit program, the findings are immaterial based on the total number of contributions that the fund is receiving. So let me tell you something. What's not immaterial is someone who's been working for 25 years and his pension credits are incorrect because the employer didn't contribute correctly. The payroll audit's going to find that. So immaterial maybe to the fund, but not to a hardworking individual. And that's a great point because... Look, at the end of the day, all of us are here to benefit these members and participants. And, and that's who we are keeping in mind when we're putting in all of this effort and work and, and working together to come up with all of the things that we do here. So that's a great point, Phil. Uh, last thing that I'll say about payroll audits are if you are a plan and you have not gone after dollars that are owed to you from an employer, you've just extended a line of credit to a related party. And that's a big no-no in the Department of Labor's eyes. So uh, a lot of what we talk about here is, is just catching fraud and how to protect plans uh, from leaving dollars on the table. But we also want to make sure that the plans are compliant. And, and that's a big piece of what we do as auditors. Well, thanks again for your time, Phil. And for our listeners, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. And we appreciate that. I'm Aaron Slaughter. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time on Hot Topics in the Multi-Employer World. Thanks for joining us. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be first in line to hear what's coming next. Don't want to wait for our next episode? Check us out at withum.com. That's W-I-T-H-U-M.com.